And I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 36. Genesis chapter 36. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, have your, your sovereign will done here today. Speak to us in a most personal way, Lord. May your Holy Spirit take your very words and apply them into our lives. Change us, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The citizens of Felkirk, Austria, were there trapped in the city with Napoleon's massive army surrounding them. If you studied history, friends, you know not much was able to stop him. And so the city determined to gather a council of citizens together to determine should they run up the white flag or should they fight. It happened to be Easter Sunday. The people had gathered in the local church, a tiny group of believers, and the pastor had said to them, we have been counting on our own strength, leaving the matter in our hands, but we must leave the matter in God's hands. So why don't we do what we would do and trust in God? So they rang the bells. And they began to celebrate what God had done for them. Often the distance, however. <laughs> the enemy concluded that the Austrian army must have arrived. Why else would they be celebrating? And off they went. And the citizens were saved by simply doing what they should have done to begin with. Trust in the Lord. It's not easy. It's not easy, and you know it's not. We go through difficult, dark days, confusing events. What's going on? Why is God doing this? And it is then we must remind ourselves of the story of Joseph. A transition has been made. Jacob is now in the back seat, and we are moving to see how the nation of Israel shall live. And so notice with me, if you will, in chapter 36, one of the things we have noticed, or perhaps we haven't, but I'll make note of, is that there is a pattern in the scriptures. Moses uh, being the author of Genesis, of course, the Lord being the ultimate author, tends to talk about the lesser brother before talking about the primary brother. And so here in uh, chapter 36, we read about Esau. And this is a swan song. The only time we'll read about him is when the nation of Israel is fighting against his descendants. And here in uh, verses 1 to 5, we'll go through this quickly. We read about his rebellion by marriage. These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Highlighted for us to know these are the enemies of God. And Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Exactly opposite of what his mother would have wanted for him. And more importantly, the Lord. Why? Because these foreign women would draw his heart away from the Lord. And they did 
just that. They did it in Solomon's life and anyone else who thought, well, I'm different and rebelled against God. Here in verses 6 to 8, we read about his separation from Jacob. Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the members of his household, his livestock and his beasts and all of his property that he had acquired from the land of Canaan. And he went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. And the land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock, driving him further and further away from where God would have him to be. Rebellion, separation. And then here in verses 9 through 14, we read about his children. Take time this afternoon in your own devotion to feel free to read these names. I'll leave that to you. But what we're doing is we're giving a summary and then we are transitioning. His legacy. And here is this long list of names, people who are his chiefs. In other words, this man is not a small man. The Lord had said when he was yet in the womb, you have within you two nations. And God is demonstrating the truth of this and having these things recorded. In 15 to 30, we have a list of, list of chiefs like princes and kings in verses 31 to 39. And you will note specifically here in verse 31, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Interesting about that statement, my friend, is this. Remember who wrote it? Moses. Who was the king in Israel when Moses? Well, there wasn't even hardly a nation when Moses was, was, was uh, being used of the Lord. Certainly no king. But God had already spoken about kings. Even before there were kings in Deuteronomy 40, the Lord had given instruction about kings who would come. And one of the requirements of every king as they began to reign was to take all of the old covenant that existed at that time and to write it out, all of the laws in their own hand, so that they could not say, I did not know. They knew the Lord. And so there is his legacy, chiefs and kings and a nation here in verse 40. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to the clans and the dwelling places by their names. The chiefs of Timnah and Alva and Jetheth. Say that three times in a row. I challenge you. Or how about this guy? Aholabama, Ella and Pina. Yeah, the names are odd, my friends, but the evidence of God's word is true. And then we come to chapter 37. I told you we were going to go through that quickly. In Genesis chapter 37, we are introduced to the 11th son of Jacob. And we are introduced first and foremost to his home life. What was it like being the little guy in the family? 
Notice here in verse 37, verse 1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. And so he is in what the land that God is giving to this soon-to-be nation. In verse 2, we read, These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. First and foremost, let us understand this guy is a kid. I don't use that euphemistic. I don't mean that in hyper. He's a child. I know when you were 17, you're big and mature. And I'll tell you what, puberty came comes a lot earlier today than it did then. He was a child. Don't forget that as you see what he goes through here this morning. But we will notice something about his character. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And, and Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. Now, there's a lot of speculation with this, and perhaps you're tempted, oh, he's one of those snotty-nosed people who's always telling mom. We're going to see later on that's not the case here at all. This boy has wisdom beyond his years. Well, as you would imagine, his brothers weren't too fond about that. But you'll notice in verse 3, he gave a bad report to his brothers, but he's loved by his father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age. He was also the son of the wife whom he loved. He married Leah, but he loved Rachel, you may recall. And because he loved him so much, he made him a robe of many colors. Now, Sunday school teachers make much of this robe. But the significance, my friend, is this. He bought him a suit. And the brothers, they had overalls. That's what they saw. Dad putting this guy in charge. Now, you may recall that we, uh, we noted that uh, Reuben, the oldest of all of the children, made a play, a power play by sleeping with his father's concubine, hoping to be the number one guy. But here it is being given to Joseph. And so his father loves him. Now, you and I know that, what is this? I, I can't imagine having to choose which one is your favorite. Which one do you love the most? I love absolutely every one of my children. Every one of them is different, but I love them very much. And I'm sure you know that. You relate to that. You can't make a choice. Ridiculous. But Jacob did. I wonder where he learned that. You may recall that his mother favored him and covered his arms with goat hair. Remember that? Cinnamon. Go ahead. Pretend you're your brother. It's okay. Yeah. So he's loved by his father. 
But you'll notice in verse 4, he is loathed by his brothers. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably to him. Could not speak peaceably, peacefully with him. They couldn't come up with a kind word for this kid. They hated him. Well, to make matters worse, my friends, we look at his home life and say, man, this guy's behind the eight ball. But to make matters worse, he has some dreams. And you will note that that is a tie that puts his story all together, the significance of dreams. You will note also that the introductions of a man's life usually begin to tell a story of where he's going. But notice here in verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. How do you grow in such hate? Where does hate lead you to, my friends? What did Jesus say about hate? A man that hates in his heart, has murdered somebody in his heart? Let's see where that goes, huh? Yeah, committed murder. Hmm. Well, they hated him, and they hated him even more. And then he said to them, now, let's make a note here. This dream is not, you know, I had bad spaghetti the night before. What we're looking at is divine revelation. Jacob had a dream. Abraham had a dream, except in their dream, the Lord was the primary thing going, issue. I shouldn't say thing about the Lord, you know. He was the star of those dreams, communicating truth. But here with Joseph, the Lord reveals something to him. Now, those of you that love the word of God will say, hey, well, let's listen. What, is, what did the Lord say to you? And so here he says to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold. And that word behold simply means you're not going to believe this. I mean, this is astounding. So this is not Joseph. You're not going to believe my dream. Okay? He's astounded by this. Behold. We were binding sheaves in the field. What's that all about? You see, in the field, what they would do is they would tie up groups before they would cut them, lest anything be damaged. Then they used the stalk everything, my friends, for thatch, for various things, and they would cut it at the bottom. So here they would have these bundled sheaves. And so he said, we're binding sheaves in the field, and behold, there it is again. My sheep arose and stood upright. It must have been a strong wind, eh? And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. What does that mean? What's your interpretation of this dream? It's not that difficult to figure out. Joseph was saying that this dream, you worship me. You bow down to me. Again, introductions. 
What is the significance of this? Why not bars of soap or some other ridiculous thing? What about their hats? You know, did they wear hats? Did they bow down? Why this? Because this will be significant. The Lord will use the lack of this food to drive them. The Lord will use these things in their life, my friends. Things related to Egypt, things related to food. Well, notice verse 8, his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more. You notice the theme developing here? There is a great animosity toward him. And friend, eventually your feelings turn to actions. For his dreams, they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he had another dream. Notice in verse 9, a second dream. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Moon, stars, that's Egypt, friends. The gods of Egypt. The sun and the moon and the eleven stars. How many brothers? There were twelve, right? Yeah. And look at the response here in verse 10. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? I ain't bowing down to you. I suppose that's pretty much a universal thought, certainly instantly. I ain't bound down to nobody. That is the very nature of pride. It is so prevalent in humanity. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. But remember, this is divine revelation. You say, why is he telling these people? Because, friends, the revelation is very much relevant to them. And now this truth is planted in their minds. I wonder if the Spirit of God might use that in their life someday. Shall I and your mother... Now, that's an interesting response here in the uh, end of verse 10 shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves down to the ground before you and here's Jacob and this is interesting here because his mother is dead you may recall that she died while giving birth to the youngest son Benjamin but it certainly it is the principle and they recognized it immediately are you saying there's going to be a day where we're going to bow down to you? You will notice, friends, <laughs> his brothers, verse 11, were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. That's an interesting expression. You see, his response to the whole event is, huh, that's the same expression, by the way, that Mary used, that Mary had when the angel Gabriel told her that she was going to bear a son and that he would be the son of David. 
She, she didn't say a word, but she kept it in mind. Thoughtfully, Jacob considers it. So his brothers were jealous of him, but his fathers kept the saying in mind. Very, very important. You and I know that hate grows into murder. Jesus said, you hate a man in your heart, you've murdered him. Guilty of murder. Hmm. So it is no surprise when we come to verse 12 and we begin to see the brother's treachery. I mean, what a home life here, friends. Jealousy, envy, hatred. But you'll see now here, my friends, the Lord's providence. And if you haven't seen it already, the Lord is doing something here. Take careful note. Now his brothers went to pasture the father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are you not, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Well, of course, we just read that. Now Shechem was like 50 miles from there. Why in the world would they be pasturing their flock 50 miles from there? I'll tell you this, friends. Providence. You know the providences of God? It is God working in the lives and through the lives of people to bring about his will. We will see in the book of Exodus how God turns the heart of Pharaoh because God controls all of these things. God is providentially at work. Now you and I think, yeah, that's what happened in the Bible, but it happens every moment of the day. God is constantly at work among his people. That should change the way we perceive what's going on around us, shouldn't it? And so the brothers, they're in Shechem with his sheep. He says, come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. And you know that, that expression you may have heard from Isaiah when the Lord called him. What it means is, I'm here for you. You command, and I'll get at it. Sounds a little different, doesn't it? Sounds like a responsible, respectful child. And so he said to them, Go, see if it is well with your brothers in the flock, and bring me word. So it sounds to me like Jacob was using Joseph to check on his brothers. It wasn't so much Joseph, the little tattletale, as much as Jacob knowing that he can trust Joseph to tell him what's going on. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem. Look at verse 15. So there he is in Shechem. Now, how do you find these people? You know, like just go over to Goshen. They're over there. Where? Give me an address. I need to put it in. The... But that's what he had. It's this big wilderness. Just go over there. You'll find them. Quite an assignment, huh? But you'll notice here in verse 15. And a man found him wandering in the fields. Just happened to be a guy there. Man, was that lucky, huh? Talking about providence here, friends. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? He says, I'm seeking my brothers. And he said, Tell me, please, where, are, where they are pasturing the flock? 
And the man said, well, they've gone that way, for I happen to hear. <laughs> man, what a coincidence, huh? I happened to hear them say, let us go to Dolphin. <laughs> so Joseph went to after his brothers and found them in a dolphin. And I said, what, what's, what's with all of this going so far away? Why couldn't this all happen 10 miles away? Well, we'll see. Because here in verse 18, we find that they saw him from afar. That Joseph, that dreamer, they saw him from afar. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Where else does hate, hatred lead to, my friends? Has it not through the history of this world, starting with Cain and Abel? Hatred always leads to murder. I'll say that one more time so you take notes. Hatred always leads to murder. Jesus said so. So if there's hatred in your world right now, friends, you better address that. Like, go home right now and get rid of that. You take care of that with the Lord. So they saw him coming. And before he came near, they conspired against him to kill them. And they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. We'll see how those dreams turn out, huh? Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pits. Talking about a cistern, you know, we got all the brothers and now we got the cistern here. This is where all the water would be, you know, and it's empty. So let's throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. That's some satanic kind of hatred evil here. But verse 21 we read, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here, into the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. I mean, we can cause him to just die of lack of water, dehydration, but we don't want to kill him. <laughs> That's what sin does, my friends. It makes our thinking crazy mix things up, convince ourselves that what we're doing is good. Well, he did all of this, and Moses gives us a little insight here. He did this that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore to his father. Why does Reuben want to do that? Surely he hates him as much as the next. Now, Reuben's always thinking about his position. I'll show dad I'm a good guy. Yeah, he'll restore those fortunes to me when he's gone. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of that robe. The first thing they did is said, get that robe off of him. So they stripped him of the robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. He's naked. They didn't wear layers back then, friends. The pit was empty, there was no water in it, and they sat down to eat. <laughs> oh, how great is that? And looking up, 
and they saw a caravan. And it was uh, Ishmaelites, and they were coming from Gilead with their camels. And they were bearing gum and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way down to Egypt. Hmm, what a coincidence, huh? <laughs> yeah, what a coincidence. Interestingly, those are the ingredients they use to embalm mummies, sarcophagus. Going down to Egypt with the stuff they love. Hmm. And I think at this moment, they had an idea. As a matter of fact, I know it, because look at verse 26. And Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? I mean, let's make some money off of this. So come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. <laughs> oh, I mean, he is our brother after all. We want to sell him, not kill him. Astounding. Our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And the Midianite traders passed by. Again, do you see the providence in all of these things? Just the ideas planted, the ideas come to fruition. The Midianite traders now pass by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Historical documents tell us that that was the price for the, a little child slave. 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. They took him to Egypt. Now because you know your Bible so well, you remember in Genesis chapter 15 how the Lord had said that he would take his people down to the nation of Egypt and there they would be in servitude for 430 years. And then I would bring them out. And here it is. He's doing it. Say, so, well, they're just sending Joseph, right? Remember those dreams? Yeah. And so they took him to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, we don't know where Reuben went. He tore his clothes. He was just beside himself. And he returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and where shall I go? See, concerned about his place before his father. He's the oldest, right? And what, 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 what now? We're headed home. What are we going to tell dad? So then they took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this, this we found, please identify whether or not it's your son's because <laughs> we never noticed he was wearing this. We think it might be his. Astounding. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. And they didn't have to make up the story. 
Jacob himself said a fierce animal must have devoured him and Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Shell, that's the grave, to my son mourning. And thus his father wept for him. Don't miss this, friends. It ain't the end of the story. You see, the Lord's purpose was accomplished. Meanwhile, I love that. Meanwhile, is that from Batman or something? <laughs> Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And now he's in the place where God would have him. Now, we need to step back and talk about this. Everything that has happened to Joseph has been by the movement of God. Starting with his father. I wonder, you can only imagine some, some tradesmen going by, hey, look at that cart. Oh, it's maybe too small for me. Hey, Joseph, come here. All of these things moving together. <coughs> Dreams that affect his father and his brothers being told to them how they respond. Every one of these movements, the providence of God, using the envy, the hatred of these brothers. Now let's not kill them. Let's sell them to those people. All of this movement down into Egypt, just as the Lord had said in Genesis 15. There's no coincidences, friends. There is no, boy, that was lucky. And I'll tell you, from Joseph's perspective, what did I do? Dad sent me down, I took a look, and I said, this is what's going on. And now he's a child was a slave and away from his family. You say that ain't fair. You're right. That is how God uses the children of God to accomplish his purposes. Missionaries are called, they are trained, they are equipped, and they are sent. And yes, tribesmen cut their heads off. Oh, well, why did God allow that? Because God is more concerned about his glory than your comfort. And I'll tell you what, friends, so should you and I. Let's talk about Job. What did Job do wrong? Job was just a righteous, godly man. And the Lord said, go ahead, do whatever you want to him, just don't kill him. Take away everything he has, take away his health, and we'll see whether or not he will glorify my name, regardless of what he has, whether he's comfortable or not. I'll tell you what, friends, it just gets worse for Joseph till it gets better. 
This story, my friends, is the kind of account that needs to get under your skin and realize that God does all things for his glory. Remember that verse? All things work together for good. You mean the bad stuff? Particularly the bad stuff. All things work together for the to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Are you called for God's purpose? I mean, is that in the forefront of your mind? I mean, if not, what are we doing here, right? Right? We have no idea, like Joseph, what 30 years is going to make, or 30 minutes for that matter. But God is at work. And yeah, sometimes it gets messy. Sometimes it means surgery. Sometimes it means losing a job or a child. Or a, but God moves his people right where they should be to accomplish his purpose for his glory. And you know what? It'll be worth it. And you can't see it that clearly here, my friends, but you will see it clearly there. And you will celebrate every second of it in heaven that God should use you. God's providence causes us to trust him It surely ought to, my friends. Even when our life is in chaos, we know that God is at work. There's no accidents, coincidences, my friends. It is God at work. So let me ask you this question, and this is something you have to personally wrestle with. Are you prepared to go through the ringer for God's glory? for his purposes? Are you prepared to endure some great difficulty, some great personal cost in order to accomplish God's will? What are you holding back, friends? What are you holding back? Perhaps another application of this Joseph account is that we need to eliminate grumbling from our lives. Imagine, here's God doing this wonderful work, this amazing thing that people have read for thousands of years, astounded by this young boy and what God has done in his life. But he doesn't grumble. He doesn't grumble. All grumbling is grumbling against God. We're going to get a bumper sticker and put it on everyone's car here. <laughs> can go home and say, how'd that get there? It's Pastor Dave. All grumbling is grumbling against God. Get it out of your life, friends. And finally, how about we live the kind of life that inspires others to trust God and motivates them to obey him? How about we live that kind of life all in, whatever the cost? Father in heaven, 
we pray that you would cause us to be this kind of people who count the cost and don't stop just in this life, but consider the life to come. Help us to live in light of these things, that one day we stand before you and we have lived the kind of life in which you say, well done, well done. God, that you would glorify yourself through us. Change our minds. Change what gets our heart pumping. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.